what do you make of this? A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road and birds ate it. Some fell in the gravel. It sprouted quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Are you listening to this? Really listening? So, study the story of the farmer planting seed. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface, so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of that person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scatters on the road. The seed cast in the gravel, this is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm, but there is no soil of character. So when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there is nothing to show for it. The seed cast in the weeds is the person who hears the kingdom news. But weeds of worry and illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard, and nothing comes of it. The seed cast on good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news, and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Amen. Thank you, Allie. Parable of the Sower. We are moving from our Words in Red series, which were mostly focused on controversial things that Jesus said. And we're going to move into, for the next several weeks, tackling some parables of Jesus. Now, parables is an interesting word for story. And uh, many of you have heard a lot of the parables because you grew up in church or you caught them on uh, some kind of a Sunday school experience. And I got to be honest with you. For a long time, whenever I thought about the word parable or the idea of a parable, I just assumed that Jesus spoke in parables so that a knucklehead like me could understand what in the world he was talking about. But the more I kind of got into these idea of parables, the more I began to understand that maybe, yes, it's important for me to be able to understand, but maybe there was more going on on why Jesus' main mode of teaching were these sometimes often cryptic stories. So the word parable is a, an interesting word. The, the easy way for me to understand what parable means is parable is kind of like where you get the word parallel, right? And if you know what a parallel line is, those are two lines that are right next to each other going the same direction. So when Jesus tells a parable, he tells a story that's right next to a truth of God going the same direction as the truth of God so that we can understand a truth about the nature of God and the kingdom. So these stories that he tells, they run right alongside a truth. And as we dive into those truths, they tell us something about Jesus, something about God, something about the kingdom of heaven. And this one is pretty powerful. Now, what I love about this is, again, I always thought Jesus wanted me to understand, wanted everyone to understand. So he spoke to us like we were you know, knuckleheads like I am. But what was interesting to me as I read this um, in Matthew, and, and you can jump to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be there in, in just a second. Matthew chapter 13. If you look at verse 13, he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Now listen to this. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And I want you to catch this. Jesus tells his followers, his closest crew, his disciples, that the reason I speak in parables is so that when people see what I say and hear what I say, they don't get it. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I often speak to groups of people, even when I'm speaking to just one person, usually the most important thing to me is to feel like you understood what I meant, right? That's when I feel like communication has happened. And I'll use 100 words to say 10 words until I'm pretty sure you're nodding either because you want me to stop, dear God, make him stop, or because you've comprehended what I've said. But here's Jesus saying, the reason I use a story, a parable, a story that runs alongside the truth of God is so that when people see it, they don't get it. So that when they hear it, they don't understand. That's crazy. Did you ever see that in there? He said, I, I, I'm, I'm good with them not understanding. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not how I would best assume Jesus would want to communicate. Now, what's amazing is this particular parable explains why he does it this way. So I got to give you a little background so you understand kind of what's happening as Jesus unpackages this incredible uh, parable. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 13, but I'm going to back up a little bit and let you know um, what's going on. So at this point in kind of the story, the disciples and Jesus have been traveling a lot. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a long road trip, and eventually things start to get, like, you start getting grumpy. You start getting agitated with the people. You've been really close to them for a long time, and, you know, you know who smells like what, and you know who's wearing the same shirt they were wearing yesterday. Come on now. You know, <laughs> you just, you've been on the road for a while, and there's these little points of tension that seem to pop up in the closest followers, disciples of Jesus. And as they're going along on the road, they keep hitting these little pieces of tension. And, and they're just, they're travel weary. They've been going from place to place. And as they're doing that, they're going to some of these towns. And in some of the places they go, even though Jesus has performed miracles, even though he shared truths about the kingdom of God, they're meeting opposition in people who have seen miracles, seen the truth of God, witnessed some healings, seen people get fed when there was not enough food. They've seen some of those things, and they're still kind of like, okay, cool, what else you got for me? And so they're starting to get agitated, this group that's been traveling together, this, this core group of buddies that have been traveling together, and they're starting to feel a little bit like, is this really what it's going to be? We're going to go place to place, and some are going to get it. Why isn't everyone as excited as we are? Why isn't everyone diving in full steam ahead? In fact, it's pretty funny. Um, I wrote it this way, that I wrote, Jesus was so frustrated that he started capping on some of these towns. Now, I don't know if you, you know, we're alive in the 90s, but capping means making fun of, and so that's that, that's what came out of me as I started thinking about this. And so Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, here's Jesus. He's like, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. What is he saying there? It sounds crazy, but essentially he's saying, we visited some towns and some miracles happened and some truth was on display. And some of you... We're just like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. He's like, I can't believe it. If I had been in these other towns, they would have reacted differently. And now you've missed this. They've seen enough of my authority to believe, but they just kept asking for more. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 12, some Pharisees show up, and uh, they've been following Jesus, and they, they just say, hey, uh, give us another sign. 
And finally, Jesus kind of hits a wall with them, and he's like, listen, I'm not giving you any more signs. You've seen everything you need to see to believe. And I know what you're thinking, because here's what's happened. Because Jesus has gathered this crowd, and people are coming out to see what's going on, they don't deny that miracles are happening. They don't say, well, those miracles didn't happen. They've met the people that experienced the miracles. They've witnessed miracles. They've seen healings. They've seen all kinds of supernatural things. But instead of just saying, well, that's amazing. God must be doing something. They had to ascribe it to something. So they literally say, oh, it's by the power of the devil that you're doing this. That's what they tell Jesus. They say, oh, it must be because it's supernatural. We recognize that. But there's no way you could have authority from God uh, because we're the ones that control authority from God and you didn't work through us the way I want you to. And since you didn't work through me the way I want you to, you must be getting your authority from somewhere else. So show us another sign. You see the critical spirit that's crept in? So in the midst of this kind of storm of critical spirits, of people judging him, of people coming out to see the show. Now, remember when we were walking through the uh, Written in Red series, we talked about how people will often try to take you out of context. And when, they take, when you take someone out of context, when you take a sentence that someone said and try to say, well, that's what that person's about, that's really unfair. These guys are attempting constantly to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use to prove and validate their point, saying there's no way he could have come from God because he said this. There's no way that he could be like this because of this. And so his language begins to change at this point. And we get the first introduction of these parables. And it's these stories that come alongside a truth about the kingdom of God, but don't specifically state always what that truth is. Now, you got to think, this is a brilliant way to speak to large crowds when there's people who are in the crowds who are specifically looking for you to say something that they can rip out of context and use it to discredit you. It's very difficult to do that if you haven't actually said a thing. You've said a story. It's kind of like a thing like this. Do you see where Jesus is going with this? It's starting to, starting to connect. You see the hostile. Now, we get this because, you know, we're in a political season right now. And, I mean, it's unbearable to turn on the news anymore and see a quote from anyone. I don't care who you support or don't support. It is ridiculous to hear, oh, this person went on the record, said this. And you see a, you know, eight to ten second soundbite. And you're supposed to make a judgment about that person and who they are. And it's, un, it's literally unbearable. That's all I can say. I won't get political. It's just, un, I cannot watch the news right now. It's just so unbearable because everyone is just jamming in your face. This is what they said and what they believe. So here's Jesus in that kind of a hostile environment, there is, I mean, the more people change, the more they stay the same, right? There is a political movement happening around him. The crowds are gathering and folks are intimidated and they're trying to get him on the record saying something that they can use against him. And it's exactly what they did eventually at the cross. They just had to get him on the record. Say you're the king of the Jews, just say it and we got you. So he begins to teach in parables. He says, it's kind of like this. And there's nothing they can do with this information except for go, I think he's talking about us and I don't like it. And time again, they go, hmm, after that, they pick it up. You know, they're like, we really got to kill this guy, <laughs> but we can't use any of that material to do it. But we really got to do it. So here's the parables in Matthew chapter 13. And before before I pick up the story, you got to back up just a little bit. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 says he replied to them, who's my mother and who are my brothers? Let me stop right there. The crowds have been you know, mixed at this experience of Jesus, and his family has actually come out to try to pull him off the political stage. They're like, whoo, Jesus, you've gone a little bit crazy. 
Remember when we talk about James, my favorite, my favorite story, his brother. This is the only places we see his family. They're never pro-Jesus while Jesus is pre-resurrection, okay? So they show up. They're trying to pull him off the political stage, and, and he hears, hey, your family's in the crowd. They want to get you off the stage. And he, he says, well, who's my mother and my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, so he points at his, at his bros, and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever, catch this, verse 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he's beginning to say, hey, it's about taking some action. And then he tells a story. We just heard it read, but I'm going to pick up in Matthew chapter 13. It says that same day, he went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Verse 2. Such large, crowd, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Here's what was happening. Jesus was literally so popular that the crowds were beginning to crush in on him everywhere he went. Like we get the picture of paparazzi today and they're, you know, people can't get in the car. Or they're trying to get out of the restaurant and into the car. Jesus is trying to get out of the house and just go chill kind of by the lake. But the crowds are pressing in so tight. They're just, oh, I want to be close. I want to see the show. You know, you know, the, the excitement is so gathering that he has to actually get on a boat and float out into the water so that no one will crush him. I mean, at this point in the story, oftentimes the disciples are going without food. They're going without food and, and, and provisions because they can't get past the crowd to feed Jesus. I mean, he's got to do some miracles because the crowd has just got him hemmed in. There's not, you know, tear gas. They can't just disperse the crowd. When there's thousands of people, uh, men, women, and children just mashing around to see what's going on, there's no escape. No wonder he often needed to go to solitary places to pray. He had to get up early in the morning when everyone was sleeping so he could get a few moments with his father. It says, then he told him many things in parables, and the stories begin to come out. And we hear this amazing parable about a farmer going out to sow his seed. It says, as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, and it grew up, and it choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, I love this. I, I heard it depicted this way once, and it blew my mind. There is a massive crowd that has shown up to see Jesus, so much that it literally pushes him off the shore, out into the water. Now, I don't know about you, but, but big crowds are cool, right? I'm, big crowds are fun. Ever throw a birthday party and not have a crowd show up? That's a bummer, right? It's, it's, it's affirming to have a lot of people show up. It feels good. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus. You know, the disciples have been feeling rejected by these towns that they've gone into. And now there's a massive crowd. And Jesus' response to this massive crowd is to tell a story, a cryptic story. There's a farmer. He's throwing seed. Some lands on the path. Birds eat it. Nothing. Some lands on the rocky soil. Sprouts up. Sun shines on it. Doesn't have deep roots. Nothing. Some falls on fertile soil, but there's weeds in there. Sprouts up, weeds choke it out, nothing. Some of it falls on good soil, and it produces 30, 60, 100-fold. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. Sermon over. Seriously, that's the end of the sermon. Can you imagine 
you guys got ready, you got your kids all together, the sun was shining, but you're like, we got to get church in this morning, you know, you piled them into the car, you fought, you know, someone spilled something in the car, you're trying to not have a good attitude, not ruin your whole Sunday experience before you get here, you show up, I preach about 30 seconds and say, if you get it, you get it, if not, not, you're dismissed. Yeah, how frustrated would you be? And there's these crowds that show up. And they want to see Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's like, quiet down, quiet down, quiet down. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. He who has ears, let him hear. You know that expression, it fell on deaf ears. It comes out of, out of the words of Jesus. If, it, if you get it, if you get it, awesome. If you don't, bummer. The end. That's the end of the story. That's it. He's done preaching about this to the crowds. The crowds can just go on their way from here. Can you imagine how just that moment must have been in the crowd? Hey, hey, I heard Jesus is in town. No way, we're camping out. Yeah, we're camping out. We're going to get outside the house. Yeah, I heard he gets up early and goes and prays. Nah, he's not getting up this week. I'm going to be there, right? We're going to be out there. We're camped out, you know, all your, all your crew. Let's get the word out. Jesus is in town. He's staying at that house over there. Awesome. Should we go in the house? Nah, we'll let him come out of the house. Okay, cool. He came out of the house. Nice. I want to be first. I want to be closest to Jesus. I heard that if you touch him, things happen. I want to be close to Jesus. Jesus. And these crowds are coming. Ah and they're pressing in, and they're excited. And he tells this story. And he says, and that's it. Story's over. And he just kind of drifts away on the lake. That's the end. Pretty interesting that he breaks it down this way. Verse 10 says, the disciples came to him. They had to get to him. Remember, he was out on the water. So they had to wait through. Imagine this grumpy crowd. Like, that's, that's what we waited for? The hype did not match the reality. The crowds dispersed. They're probably grumpy. We didn't even get free fish. Right? I heard about that. I heard those guys that got free fish. No one, no one got healed. He just said, if you get it, you get it. So the disciples came to him, and they're like, hey, Jesus, clear something up for us. Why do you speak to the people in parables? Verse 11, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, listen to this, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever has an abundance, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he does have will be taken from him. This is why I speak in parables. The seeing they don't see, don't hear, and they do not understand. Wait, what? The reason you spoke in parables, Jesus, is so that crowd would not understand? If you guys get it, you get it. If not, we're done. <laughs> no, right? That would be so rude to just leave it there. I would think it was rude. But Jesus begins to explain. He goes on. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit there through Matthew 13. If you're following, he goes on to explain. It's been prophesied since way back in Isaiah's time that people will show up to hear, but no matter how much they hear, no matter how much they see, no change will occur in their lives. They've already predetermined to not receive what I've said or receive what I do. They've decided that they're not going to engage, but they want to see the show. So he begins to explain to them that that's what's happening. And then he goes on to say, but for you guys, I'm going to explain it. Now, this is really important. He's going to explain why he does this. In Matthew chapter 13, I'm in verse 18. He says, hey, listen to what the parable of the sower means. So he's not afraid to explain it. He's willing to do it. But he does it with who? He does it with the people who pushed in 
pushed past the crowd and said, hey, can you give me a little bit more with that? The ones that just came to see the show, they were done. Show's over, woo! Gotta make it to lunch by 11, it's gonna be a line. But those that pushed in, he said, let me explain what it means. Verse 19, when anyone hears this message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that's sown along the path. To the one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, they choke it. They make it unfruitful. But the one who receives the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. And he produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. He says there's four kinds of people who receive the word of God. There's four kinds. Now, this is, blows me away. Right off the bat, 75% of the people who hear and receive the word of God are going to have a negative reaction to it. That's interesting to just bank that for later. The first kind of people, he says, are surface people. They're surface people. Now, in that time, in that culture, the way that they farmed, they didn't have gates all the way around their farms, you know, fences all the way around their farms. They walked around the edges of their farms, and they threw the seed. And if they walked in the same place around and around and around and around, it would get compact underneath their feet, and the path would be as hard as basically concrete. And he said, when the farmer walks and he throws his seed, some of it falls on that path as he's walking. Now, there is no hope that that seed is going to penetrate that path. In fact, it just sits on top of the path. And ultimately, they would have been very familiar with birds when they're farming. You know, that's why scarecrows and things like that get built that come and just gobble up those seeds. He says, some people, when God's word is explained to them, is unpackaged to them, they have so hardened their heart that it just bounces off. Maybe this, right? It's like I throw a seed at you and just ping, bounces right off your head. And you're like, what seed? What? You see this all the time in conversations where someone has already made up their mind about any issue. And it doesn't matter what you say to them about that issue. They have already locked in on an opinion about that issue. You could say anything. You can say, um, I don't know, maybe you have a strong opinion about where a traffic light should go up. And someone could come to you and say, well, here's the reason why that traffic light doesn't go up. And immediately your brain just shuts off. There is no possible reason why you wouldn't put a traffic light there because I've already designed in my mind and set in my heart that that needs to happen. Right? Jesus is saying there's some people who interact with the word of God that way. And it doesn't matter. Somewhere along the line, they made a decision. They said, hey, here's what's funny. They'll listen to a talking head on the news and believe every word they say, but they'll say, I'm not going to read, believe the Bible because it was written by a man. There was men in there that wrote it, right? But they'll believe, they'll believe something else, a, a YouTube video about something, but they won't believe because they've already decided somewhere along the line they got it in their head. Well, there were men involved in putting this book together, and so there's nothing in there that I can trust, and I'm not ever even going to get involved in it at all. Pink, and the seeds just fall right off the path. Jesus says there's going to be some people you interact with, some people maybe even in this room, it doesn't matter what I say, 
if it doesn't fit the, the narrative that you want Jesus to fit, you're not in. If I say, hey, you know what? Jesus' love for you, it's incredible, it's, un, it's unconditional, and you get to partner with that, but you're going to have to, here on earth, change some things in your life as part of that relationship with Jesus. It's going to move you to change. And the moment I say that, you go, well, I'm not changing this. I'm out. Right? That's what he says. Some people are like that. Like, you just, the seed just bounces right off. He says there's a second group of people. Now, they would have understood this. There, there's an old axiom, an old saying um, that, that uh, uh, I was reading some of the historical stuff about farming in Israel. And a lot of the land there, it's just so rocky. And they have a very shallow bedrock, which means like right below the surface in a lot of places, you get in and it looks like good dirt. But if you were to hit it with a shovel, about three inches in, you'd hit just solid rock. Right? You guys experienced that before? You know, it's like you're like, hey, I'm just going to dig a little hole right here. And you go, kink. And it's like, oh, I hit bedrock right here. And so Jesus is saying for a lot of people, they're kind of like that really shallow, useless land for farming where you throw the seed. And when you throw the seed, it's shallow. It's shallow there. And you get very excited and they take root. Now, this happens all the time. This happens so often in my, in my ministry world. This just is one of the hardest things to reconcile. The seed hits and you hear a truth about Jesus. You hear, you hear something, you get excited. And all of a sudden it's like this explosion of life happens. I'm in. This is amazing. It's great. But you're shallow. And what does that mean? That means right beneath the surface, there is a hard spot that doesn't get penetrated. In your heart. And so you're excited. Here's, what, here's where this is so dangerous. You see this all the time when a preacher says something like, man, if, you're gonna, if you give your heart to Jesus, your life is just going to get better. And you're like, yes, it's going to get better. It's going to be awesome. Yes, it's going to get awesome. You're going to have wealth, health, and everything else. You're like, yes. And none of that's in here, by the way, that way. And that's your expectation. And so that seed gets in there, and you go, poof. Yeah, I want my life to be more awesome. Yeah, I want more stuff. Yeah, I want things to be better. And then the reality of life hits. And you don't have any roots. Your whole experience with Jesus is based on things going a certain way. And then things don't go that way. Jesus says, like, the sun begins to scorch it. And because you haven't cultivated roots, because... That word hasn't penetrated in and changed and transformed your life. You can't handle that kind of storm. You can't, ha- I, oh, I see this all the time. I'm serving God. And then that relationship didn't work out. God betrayed me. I'm out. I'm serving God. Well, then I got sick. If God cared about me, my mom got sick. It didn't go the way I wanted it to go. My kid didn't turn out how I wanted him to turn out. God let me down. I'm out. Can I make it real shallow? I'm serving God, but they don't play the kind of music I like. I'm out. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm out. I'm serving God, but he doesn't preach book by book through every Bible passage. I'm out. 
God says that seed explodes and it looks good. Hey, I'll sign up. I'll get involved. I want to do things. I'm in. Yeah. Woo. And everybody's excited, high-fiving you. That's great. You're welcome. We're, oh, we're loving it. And then something doesn't go your way and you're like, forget this. I was all in and it didn't go my way. You canceled that thing I like. You didn't do it the way I like it. I'm out. Jesus says, you're going to run into people. Why is he saying this to these guys? Remember, they've been going town to town. And not everyone has been activated the way that they thought they should be activated. They've seen people get excited and drop off. They've seen Jesus say really difficult things, like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And huge crowds were like, this is gross. We're out. Right? They don't want to hear the explanation. They're just like, ah, I don't like it so much. I'm out. They watch big crowds and momentum and excitement show up with no depth. It was shallow. Jesus says sometimes our interaction with the word of God is just too shallow. It won't hold up. He says there's shower people. Now, here's the problem. There are things that will help you get depth into your life, but you have to take ownership of those things. God can't make you deeper without your partnering with him. So, so often I hear folks, and I'm just, I mean, be careful how I say this. I'll say it polite first. <laughs> Their experience with God is limited to some Christian music that they heard and maybe just my words, and they haven't done any of the other things to partner with God throughout their life. They're not praying. They're not in the word. They're not searching out God. They're not getting quiet time. They're not bringing their family together and talking about, they're not doing any of those things. And so they're, they're, they're very just on the surface. And so when something happens and it doesn't line up with what they think about God, they don't know who God really is because they haven't gone there with him and experienced him. And so they're shallow. So some strain and pressure comes and it just breaks down. I'm not going to a small group. I don't have time for that. It's nice out. I'm not going to church. At some point in your life, you have to decide it's your job to develop your root structure. You got to partner with God to do that. The third group he talks about says they're, 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 they get swallowed. They get swallowed. This group hurts. This is the group that catches fertile soil, but there's weeds in there that they don't want to deal with. Now, I remember the first time I had a yard. It was exciting. I was living in Spokane. Remember, I grew up in California. We just had concrete and like a little patch of grass, and that was it. We paid someone to deal with that little patch of grass. <laughs> it's like, who's going to deal with that? So I'm in Spokane, and we get a house, and it's amazing. It's a miracle. God just creates this awesome opportunity for us to be in this house. We have like a quarter acre of grass, and I'm, I'm buying my first mower, and I've never done anything like taking care of a yard or anything like that before, right? So I'm all, I don't know how to turn sprinklers. It has sprinklers. Like, oh, that's awesome. All right, you have to water things here. This is great. And so I'm taking care of the lawn, and I got dandelions, like, right, everywhere. And so my plan was to just mow them lower because everything looked good when it was mowed. So I would just mow more regularly so that it would look good because as long as it looked green, it was fine. So I'm mowing it, mowing it, mowing it, mowing it. Well, eventually I wear out mowing it, and I let it get pretty bad. 
and these dandelions come up, and they come up like in force, right? They're just like, boom, they're all on steroids, like, we're dandelions, right? They're all yoked, and, uh, and I'm like, ah, whatever, I'll just mow them down low later. Like, my blade on my mower is probably not even sharp enough to deal with these things. And I'll never forget, I had this, this older guy, he came by the house, and uh, he was, I can't remember when he was coming by to visit, but he's standing in the front yard, and he's like, hey, Pastor Mike. And I was like, yeah, yeah, what's up? And he's like, do you see your yard? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got to mow it low again. He goes, you know, you have, you have neighbors now. Do you see how none of their yards look like your yard? Some of you are like, ooh, I'm that yard. But, uh, right? He's like, you have to actually deal with these weeds. And if you can't, then I'll come help you. But you, you should treat because it's so bad now that you can't come back from this. <laughs> You're going to need to treat it. It's not, you can't just mow it away. But that's how some of us live our life with Jesus. There's weeds in there. And we just come by every once in a while and go, and we knock it down low so no one can see. We bury it as low as we can so it just kind of awash with everything else. And no one really sees the anger that we're dealing with, the unforgiveness that we're dealing with, the lust that we're dealing with, the greed that we're dealing with, whatever it is that's gotten in there. No one can really see it. We just keep knocking it down. But here's the thing about a weed. You knock it down and you don't get the root. Guess what happens to it? Get stronger. These are farmers. They understood that. He says, you can't just cohabitate with weeds. They'll choke out the life. They will swallow up the dream, the destiny, the plan, the purpose. You'll shoot up, and it'll look good. But people will begin to go, hey, what's growing alongside that? Like, I really like being around them, but every once in a while, just snap, this anger comes out. And I'm not sure what that is. It doesn't look right. Like, I was driving with Aaron, and everything was cool, and then all of a sudden, someone cut him off, and blah, just came out of him. There was like a weed in there. Aaron's like, no. <laughs> right? What is that thing? I tried to bring it up, and he's like, oh, no, I just mowed it down. But we do that. We try to just live our whole lives without dealing with things that want to kill us steal from us, rob from us. And Jesus said there's some people that get it and they get excited. They don't want to pay the price of dealing with the stuff. They love the stuff too. They don't realize that it's better to trust me. That I'll give you more than what that stuff is. They just kind of want to cohabitate and they end up swallowed. And you've seen this. You've seen people who walked with Jesus for long seasons and you thought, man, I didn't even know but all of a sudden, their marriage explodes, and all of a sudden, stuff just dies, and, and you're going, wow, where did, how did that all happen? And come to find out, oh, well, he was out doing this, or she was out doing that, and there was this going on, and that, and all that stuff eventually shows up. And you go, wow, how come they thought they could just keep living with those weeds? Jesus said, man, 25% of people will do it. They'll just keep on cohabitating with something that wants to kill them. It says the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, seeking pleasures, they never really mature. Then he said there's a fourth group. The fourth group is sustained. When the uh, message hits, it's like they just get it. So, wow, this is better. This is life. This changes things in me. This, this is amazing. I want to be all this now. All the other stuff can go. What is it going to take? I want to know more. They're hungry. 
They're the ones that get up early in the morning and get their Bibles out because they just it's the only time in their crazy life they can get five minutes of quiet with Jesus. They're the ones who, who, who stand over their kids at night and just say, Jesus, whatever, whatever you're going to do, just do it. Bless them. Bless them. Show up. There's a depth in there. They're the ones who say, hey, it might cost me everything, and that's okay. They're the ones that when sickness comes, they go, you know what? Though he slay me. God, if you want to take me home, take me home. You haven't experienced faith till you've been face-to-face with somebody who's looking death in the eye saying, give me more Jesus. I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about this. They're the ones that when a crisis hits, went to work today, not going to work tomorrow. They just pulled me in the office, said, you're doing everything right. Things are changing. And they call you up and say, guess what? I don't know what God's doing, but it's amazing. Because I never would have done it if he didn't just rip me out of this. So he must have something better for me. They're the ones that say, you know what? It's really hard right now. Thank God I know he's faithful. If I thought this was the end of the story, I would give up. But I know it's not the end of the story. I know who God is. I know what his word says. I know he can be counted on. They're the ones you get face to face with and you go, how could, how could you possibly trust Jesus? Look at what you've been through. And they say, well, how could I not? Look at what I've come through. He says, there's going to be some of those. Then he says the most shocking thing of the story, and this is shocking to them. We don't get it. He goes, those ones reproduce 30, 60, 100 fold. I was doing a little research because I know nothing about growing things, like I said, except weeds. And I guess in a farm, and someone can correct me later, don't yell it out. But I guess like if you get like sevenfold on your return, that's amazing. You're doing like you're in the profit really, really good. To get 30-fold is insane. To get 60 or 100 is like hitting the lottery and then the lottery again. It's like taking your, all of your lottery winning dollars and re-winning the lottery with all those dollars. It's like, it's an explosion, okay? And that's, that's what, it's the most shocking statement of the whole thing, but we don't get it because we you know, don't think in that context. But 30, 60, 100 fold is an amazing return. Now, I was just, I'm not a math guy. I went to Bible college, but I, but I was trying to figure this out. He's essentially saying only 25% are gonna catch hold but that 25% is going to explode into life and numbers beyond what you could possibly imagine could happen. What an amazing way to seed hope into the heart of some guys. They're going to have to go out and do the seeming impossible. Talk to people and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus who was crucified. For three days he was in the ground, then he rose again. And he did it so that you could have right relationship with the Father because God in heaven loves you and wants to know you. And some people are like, ping, get out of here. And some are like, yeah, and then it gets tough. And they're like, nope. And some are like, well, that's awesome, but I also like this, and I like this. But he goes, but some are going to say, wow, this is the hope I've been looking for. This is the hope that I need. And that little group of 12 guys were going to change the entire world through kingdom math. We're here today because of that. That's crazy amazing. 
That's crazy. Amazing. You know, as I was getting into the story, it got me thinking, you know, it's called the parable of the sower. Jesus calls it that, but really it's the parable of the soil because the soil is the only thing that changes. And it had me thinking about the sower. And I was thinking, you know, this guy throws seed indiscriminately. He just hucks it anywhere he goes. You would think seed's probably valuable, and I'd try to not get it on the path, right? I'm going to try to go out into this perfect area. And it had me thinking, for some of us in here, I'm going to talk to the, the leaders for just a moment here. If you think you're a leader, if you think you're accomplishing something for the kingdom, for some of us in here, I think the challenge is how broad are you throwing your seed? How wide are you throwing it? Here's what really challenged me as I read this over and over again. I realized I'm a narrow caster when it comes to throwing seed. I like to throw seed in the most productive. Yeah, I want the most bang for my buck. If I'm going to put myself out there, come on now. If I'm going to talk to my Starbucks person and really put myself out there, if I'm going to talk to my grocery person, I'm going to talk to my neighbor and really put myself out there, I'm going to try to cultivate that ground every bit as much as I can before. I'm going to wait till I've got that thing watered. I'm going to till it. Hopefully they're in crisis because that's like the perfect time. You're like, what about Jesus, right? Like, like I'm just going to try to get the most out of my effort. And if it doesn't seem like, man, like it's going to work, I'm going to, you know, I'm not quite as brave to just toss it. Toss the seed. Say, hey, here's some hope. Here's some hope. But that's not what Jesus illustrated. That's not what he encouraged them to do. He said, he said the sower just throws the seed out there. He's not concerned. He doesn't say there's a specific way to package it. You've got to have one hymn, one chorus, and specific, right? Like you've got to lay it out a certain way. If the third song's not slow enough, it's not going to work, right? If you don't preach line by line, it's not going to, come on. He doesn't say that. He says just throw it out there. Broadcast it. Don't narrow cast it. Broadcast it. Throw it out. He goes, and, and guess what? Watch what I just did. I looked at a massive group of people and said, some of you are going to get it. He who has ears, let him hear. Some of you are ready. Some of you are prepared. Some of you, it's your moment. Some of you, this is the time when what I've said is going to connect. This is it. And some of you, you're not there yet. And that's cool. The pressure isn't on the person throwing the seed. The pressure's not on you. Except that you were in faith, trusting God, believing that he could do and would do what he said he'd do. He said, you just trust God. You just believe that it will do what it's designed to do. Now, here's the thing that's crazy. Each and every one of you that's in here right now that says, yeah, I got a relationship with Jesus. You're the product of generations of people throwing seed that way. They had to throw it at somebody somewhere along the line who the risk was it was going to just bounce off. They were going to be rejected, be offended, whatever it was. They had to throw it at someone where somewhere the risk was there. But, but God in his faithfulness had prepared some heart, some place, somewhere, and that seed caught and it got into their heart. And they said, hey, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. And because of that, they went out and they threw some seed. And somewhere along the line, 
it bounced off some hard head and hit some fertile soil that led to you and to you and to you. How angry are you at that person who just threw the seed out there? Probably not. Probably not mad at them. Somewhere in there, you're praising God. Someday, I hope, we get to heaven and we get to just have an amazing conversation with people who we don't know, who are in our genetic, not genetic, they're in our faith genes, right? Gene pool. They're in our faith gene pool. That's what I was going for. Coin that. Write that down. They're in our faith gene pool. Because somewhere along the line, they germinated something and it got into someone who threw it and it got into someone who threw it and it got into you. That's awesome. And Jesus says, the kingdom math, you can't beat it. The return is amazing. The return is worth it. And some of us, we're in different phases. Some of us are like right now, this guy just needs to stop talking. I'm hard bouncing off. Cool. If you have ears here, if not, that's okay. We love you. Hang out. Some of us, whoo, it's in and it looks good. Let me ask you this. Could you foresee a scenario that if that went down, that'd be it? You'd be out? Jesus would not be enough to overcome it? Is there a scenario right now that if that went down, if it was your health, if it was your wealth, if it was someone you loved, is there a scenario right now where in that case you'd be out? Jesus said there's a lot of folks that way. The wrong scenario and I'm done. Some of you are in here and you've been swallowed for too long. Jesus is saying, hey, I provided freedom for you. But you got to choose and partner. You got to say, hey, I love you. You're better, God, than this other thing that I'm chasing. You're better than this. So I'm going to lay that down, and I'm going to trust you. He says, until you do that, you're just swallowed and neutralized. And even though you try to sprout up, the carries and the worries and the desires of this world will just choke you out. Maybe for you it's just about, are you still throwing as wide as you can? Are you giving it a birth that will hit? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have the ushers come forward. I'm going to give you a visual today because I'm visual, and it's spring, and it's nice out. And we're going to pass some baskets around, and in those baskets are packets of seeds. And so I want you to take one because I want you to take this moment and remember. So they're just going to pass them out. Just start passing them out. And those are going to come around. And here's the visual. The visual is, we know the seed is the word of God. Where are you at? Have you been too hard? God, prove yourself. Show me another sign. Show me something else. Have you been too shallow, God? I trust you as long as it works out okay. Have you been trying to live in two worlds? God, I really like you, but I'm not sure that you're better than what I would give up. Maybe you have taken root, and the question is, where do you need to throw seed next? Where's the spot? Where's the difference going to happen in you? Do you have the courage, the guts, 
Will you throw it wide? Will you say, you know what, to that person so stubborn? You know what? I love you. You know why I love you? Because God loves me so much. I can't help but love you. He doesn't give me permission to not do it. I'm going to have the band play one more time. And I just, wherever you're at, I want you to have an honest moment with God. Would you stand with me? And the seed packets are still coming around. You grab it. I'm going to leave you kind of in the hands of the Spirit to decide.